Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Silviva podcast, the podcast about learning in and with nature. We offer you up-to-date, evidence-based information about the practice of learning outdoors, teaching outside the classroom, nature-based environmental education, place-based education, and related topics. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, and a very warm welcome to the Silviva podcast. We bring you a series of interviews with some of the world's top researchers in outdoor learning. In this podcast, Dr. Kathy Jordan and myself, Dr. Rolf Jucker, discuss the two chapters to which Kathy has contributed in a recent research volume that I have edited. The volume is called High Quality Outdoor Learning, Evidence-Based Education Outside the Classroom for Children, Teachers and Society. It has been published by Springer Nature in 2022. See also the show notes for a link. You can either download the entire book as a PDF or an EPUB. You can download individual chapters or you can, in fact, read them online. And now I bring you Dr. Kathy Jordan. A very warm welcome to you, Kathy. Thank you. Good to be here. Before we launch into your research work, I would like to give you a bit of your background. What is your educational journey and why are you interested in outdoor learning? Hmm. Well, I guess my, uh, my story of how I got here is really a 30-year long journey that I'll try to summarize briefly. Um, I, I came to the University of Minnesota back in 1992 as a pediatric neuropsychologist, uh, actually in a postdoctoral fellowship. Um, so I oh, thought wow. I was going to be doing clinical work, um, you know, seeing children in clinic for assessments and um, making recommendations to their schools and their parents for, you know, how to work with them best, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and um, a, a number of things happened during that time um, that led me to decide that the impact that I wanted to make was not one child at a time in a clinical setting. I think that kind of impact can be profound, but it is one child at a time. And because of some community-based research I was doing, I was really getting interested in community level impact and policy and systems change and decided that I was going to leave clinical work. And so that launched um, a, a change to an administrative role directing a consortium called the Children, Youth and Family Consortium here at University of Minnesota. And I did that for 10 years, but um, some combination of being a, an administrator and the fact that Children, Youth and Family Consortium was very general. It was all, all sorts of different issues. We used to say children, youth, and families is everything, or it could be everything. I, I ended up feeling at about year eight of my 10 years there that I had become very much a generalist and didn't have an area of specialization anymore. And so I actually underwent a, a at least a year, maybe two year long process of trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And um, that actually led me to realize that something that I was passionate about in my personal life um, was really the impact of um, wilderness adventure, outdoor learning, environmental education, nature-based learning, various you know, uh, configurations of that with my own children. And I saw how profound um, the developmental leaps and bounds were 
from that kind of uh, learning and uh, outdoor nature engagement. And I realized this is actually something that I could make the area of my scholarly focus. Um, and uh, I had had some interaction already um, in the children and nature world locally um, and somewhat with the National Children and Nature Network, but not in a deep way. But right about that time, there was a new director taking on uh, the leadership at Children and Nature Network. And I asked her, what do you foresee for the future of CNN? And one of the things that she mentioned was that the constituents were really looking for CNN to become the sort of global hub for the research. And I don't know how to do that, she said. And I said, well, I do. <laughs> so um, that started um, a collaboration which um, eventually led actually fairly quickly to me becoming the director of research for the Children and Nature Network. But um, it, it was something that's decision to move towards children and nature actually um, meant that I needed to retool. Um, you know, I had sort of the child development background, but I didn't really have academic background on things related to the natural environment. And design and planning and even educational curriculum and, and things like that. And this collaboration with CNN and becoming their research director actually meant that I got to get immersed in the research, uh, like learning, steep learning curve, um, reading, you know, probably 15 articles a month and working with uh, an assistant to summarize those and tag those for the research library that we developed. I just I just got to get immersed in that research in a way that um, I was able to become pretty knowledgeable about the field in a relatively short amount of time. Mm. And, you know, that um, at some point I decided I, I really needed to sort of shift away from the work I was doing um, at Children, Youth and Family Consortium. And I, I left that administrative role and gave myself some time um, to do that retooling, but um, also to think a little bit about the area that I'm actually working in more, which has more to do with sort of sustainability education and thinking about climate change. And um, that led me to the role I have right now, which is as the Director for Leadership Development and Sustainability Education at the Institute on the Environment at University of Minnesota. And there I'm partly thinking about how do these two organizations that I'm associated with sort of interact with each other, at least conceptually. And that has led me to be cognizant of things like, how do we think about connecting children to nature as a long-term climate strategy? You know, something that um, we don't, I guess, think about is the fact that Yes, we're in an all hands on deck situation right now with with climate change and needing to make a transition to renewable energy. And it's taking everyone, you know, to be working on that fiercely right now. But we're going to need to be doing that for generations. And so we need to be working with today's young people um, to develop that stewardship ethic, to be concerned about the health of the planet. And the best way to do that is to be connecting them meaningfully to nature when they are young. And so that's become sort of a new shift for me in how I'm thinking about um, connecting children to nature, particularly through um, their educational opportunities. I'm, I would say I'm mostly interested though um, in spending most of my time doing things that have to do with um, actual nature-based learning in 
schools in the in the school curriculum and how we're preparing teachers to be able to effectively be nature-based educators. So that's kind of how I got here and what I'm working on right now. Wow, fantastic. That is absolutely interesting um, because it really uh, seems to, to, to show the kind of development and shift into uh, to a uh, meaningful bringing together of the various uh, aspects uh, that you're interested in. Um, it is, you know, and can I add one thing to that, which is that, um, you know, some people say to me, aren't you concerned that you're not doing what you were trained to do, <laughs> you know, neuropsychology? And, and I say, no, I'm not actually concerned about that at all, because there is a very strong thread throughout my whole career. When I started as a neuropsychologist, I was working in lead poisoning. I was, you know, both clinically mm -hmm. and in research, looking at how the environment can be bad for kids. And this is just a shift to how the environment can be good for kids. It's still about, you know, as a neuropsychologist, how do children benefit cognitively, emotionally, physically, et cetera, from the environments that they are in? Um, and how do we, you know, sort of maximize that benefit through designing um, spaces and um, sort of programming, you know, their social environment, their educational environment in ways that will, you know, give them the best chance at a really positive outcome. So it yeah, all ties together for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, I've worked in, in education for sustainable development for, for quite some time now. And, um, and the link for me to outdoor learning is really this bringing it onto the concrete level. You know, sometimes these discussions about um, education for sustainable development can, can, can be quite, quite lofty and quite abstract. Um, but outdoor learning is really a tool to bring it into a real learning environment, to, to really bring it down to the ground and, and make it palpable and, and, and turn it into an ex experience which can reinforce learning. So right. yeah, yeah, I, I can I can really really understand how this thread in your life links together with with, mm -hmm. with the outdoor learning. So maybe maybe the next question, um, you know, is there? Did you ever have yourself um, a, a a life changing, uh, learning intense personal experience? of outdoor learning or was it more that through the engagement with the topic you actually came to understand its potential? Well, you know, it's a little bit of both and and with some art thrown in. <laughs> and I'll explain that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say my family of origin was particularly outdoorsy, but I certainly look back at my childhood and when I think about like, what are some really key memories? Um, they're all outdoors. It's just playing outdoors. I just had some wonderful memories of the things that I would do with my friends um, in the vacant lot where we used to do uh, riding our bikes around and cleaning out the creek next to the golf course of all the golf balls that would end up in that creek and you know, sort of doing our, our civic duty by you know, cleaning up the pollution in the creek. Um, but you know, I think that, um, this kind of experience is lifelong and it's not just children who benefit from these you know beautiful personal experiences with um, learning something in the outdoors and um i, I want to give you one example the first example i want to give you is actually one that illustrates that learning is lifelong it happens in and outside of formal schooling um i actually for a few years was um 
uh, got to go up north, as we say in Minnesota, to a camp, a YMCA camp called Camp du Nord uh, for a women's ski weekend. And one of the things that um, would happen there is you could some you could sign up for things like going on a nature hike. And um, and I signed up to go on a nature hike with another participant um, who was just an enthusiastic quote unquote guide, not in any formal or professional sort of way, but she just knew a lot. She would, I would say she was sort of like a, a lay naturalist and she would lead us on these wonderful walks through the woods and could point out all sorts of things related to plants and animals and, and this sort of thing. And she had such a style of uh, interacting with us as learners that uh, it was, a lot like what we would say good outdoor learning ought to look like for kids. And yeah. I will always remember the yellow-bellied sapsucker because of the stories she told on these hikes and how she would point to um, the pattern in the bark where these um, sapsuckers would sort of drill their beaks into it and you know talk to us about why it didn't kill the trees or you know if it killed the trees, why, and those sorts of things. And um, it was it was just sort of an adult version of um, good pedagogy, <laughs> I would say. Um, and then I think the other example really is as a parent, and I alluded to this before, that my own children had the opportunity to go to a school that really valued environmental learning, um, did a really good job of creating a, almost a forced school experience with regular days spent um, actually out at the confluence of the Minnesota and Mississippi rivers, a sacred Native American site as also, and also just a, a beautiful location and one that is just rich with uh, sort of earth science opportunities mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, cultural learning humanities. Yep. And they would do a, a real interdisciplinary sort of day um, out there on the water, on the land. Um, and uh, it was... It was science, it was math, it was humanities, all integrated in a very experiential, very social, hands-on, um, collaborative sort of way. And this, this practice and the impact it had on my children was actually a, a really important impetus for me to change my career, um, to focus on, on children and nature. And I, I mentioned art earlier because around the same time as my kids were experiencing this, I became a nature photography hobbyist and had some really profound artistic experiences in nature that um, connected me to nature in a way that, that just added, I guess, the passion to the motivation of my children's experience that caused me to think about what can I do in a scholarly sort of way. So you mentioned sort of, you know, bringing it all together, having sort of this integrated um, life. And I, I feel like it's really the integration of three things, right? It's the integration of our family's personal passion with um, sort of the, the passion generated from my artistic um, experiences and the outlet is through my background as an academic. And so pursuing that from the perspective of education and research is, is how I kind of lean into that. That's really fantastic. I mean, that that in 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 this personal experiences of yours, it really shows the the integrated um, potential of of outdoor learning. That is absolutely fantastic. I, I was really I really loved listening to you uh, um, describing these experiences. Now, 
but maybe we can quickly zoom out uh, just for a moment. I don't know how you perceive this, but in my perspective, schooling is in upheaval the world over. Um, humanity is facing a number of grave challenges, uh, such as reinventing democracy in the face of you know, aggressive dictatorships such as Russia at the moment, um, climate change, you mentioned it already, um, biodiversity loss, you, you name it, you know, there's a number of these challenges. And um, quite a few people, because of these challenges, have been made to think a lot harder about, okay, what kind of schooling do we actually need for the 21st uh, century? And in this context, my next question, what do you think outdoor learning can contribute there? Uh, can it make a substantial contribution or is it just uh, a fancy trend uh, which is kind of, you know, working at the, the frills of education but isn't really getting into the heart of it? What's your, what's your take on that? Yes, I think outdoor learning has an extremely critical role right now and, well, always, but for all the reasons that you mentioned, I think it is really critically important. Um, you know, outdoor learning has been shown to contribute to resilience and well-being, you know, mental and physical, to hope, um, to cognitive uh, development like systems thinking and critical thinking, to social emotional learning, um, you know, having a sense of agency, um, understanding uh, risk taking and what you can learn from that, communication, collaboration, conflict management, problem solving, leadership skills. And then things like creativity and um, curiosity, and then a, a deeper understanding of whatever the subject matter is that is, you know, being um, dealt with um, through outdoor learning, and in a way that is really increasing the personal relevance of that subject matter, and doing that in a way that is active and inquiry-based, which are best practices in education. So I think the true magic comes from the fact that well-being contributes to learning and being successful academically supports mental well-being. So outdoor learning has these direct effects on both. And that pro that's probably because it's, it's at the, or it's, it is the integration of nature exposure, which has effects on our stress level, cognitive restoration, our sort of neuro neurophysiology with best practices and pedagogy, which those aren't unique to only outdoor learning, but outdoor learning lends itself particularly well to these best practices in education of things like active learning, collaboration, hands-on, inquiry-based. So it's that combination that really speaks to the whole child and their context that is going to be, um, I think, particularly successful in creating positive educational outcomes in an otherwise pretty stressful world for young people, uh, because it is something that pulls mental well-being and physical well-being and social emotional learning into the academic situation so that those two things can be mutually reinforced. I think you really, really pulled together the various strands and the various elements of outdoor learning and why it is so important uh, just now. But what would you say to a person who has never heard about outdoor learning and why it should be important? What, what what would you say to them, parents who are concerned about um, their their children's um, academic achievement and, and and standing in the world? 
um, uh, we very often get from teachers, you know, we, we, we get this message, yes, I'm really, really up for outdoor learning, but I get a lot of pressure from parents who say, well, you know, the most important thing is that my kid uh, manages the next, um, you know, grade level test or whatever it might be. Um, you know, what would you say to, you know, concerned parents who maybe haven't, you know, certainly haven't engaged in, in reflecting on outdoor learning on, on a deep level as you have, um, how would you convince them that, yes, it might be a good idea, even in a year where your child has to take an important academic test? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important that parents and teachers, every, everyone needs to sort of recognize that, you know, children don't have departments. They don't have the Department of Academic Learning and the Department of Mental yes. Health. And yeah. um, they are whole integrated beings. Yes. And when one thing is not working well in one sphere, it's going to affect the other sphere. Yeah. And um, like I said before, I think um, it's really um, the fact that outdoor learning is, is good for student health and well-being and for their academic achievement. Um, and we know that both of those things support each other in that sort of mutually reinforcing sort of way. That synergy there, um, that can result in multiple positive benefits that add to the likelihood that children are going to be academically successful and well prepared for the next phase you know, of their uh, academic uh, career. And it's, I, I think we have this tendency to think that outdoor learning is just play. It's a luxury. It's, it's recess, you know, um, it, it's a, it's a field trip, uh, let kids get outside and blow off some steam. And while it does, you know, have those, um, actually important benefits as well, it is so much more and can be so much more when teachers are trained to, to utilize nature in an effective way. And I think when, when parents understand that this is, not just feel good stuff, um, it is also academic rigor, and that the actual feel good stuff, the part that's about decreasing stress and, you know, sort of cognitive restoration, that those things actually contribute to the academic learning, then that I think can be a convincing argument um, that this is, this is not a, a add on or a, a luxury. Um, it actually can be the core way that that kids learn and it's a way that is particularly supportive of the whole child i mean I, I think when we ask parents you know what do you want for your children um in the long run it's not that they know a bunch of things um they want them to be happy and healthy and to have a sense of agency in the world and to be well prepared for you know life's challenges and if you're only doing education you know we, we call it butts and seats here in the United States, um, you know, very traditionally um, didactic sorts of education, then you actually are not preparing children for that vision that you say you have. And outdoor learning, I think, is, is really the way to get there. And it's not at the expense of the rigor of academic learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you really um, nailed a very important point there. 
with this departmentalization you know these questions which sometimes arise in terms of okay you know i want my child to do the proper learning and all the non-important stuff i can you know uh, let's forget about that that is a very narrow view of learning and education and it's actually not borne out by uh, learning research uh, as you as you mentioned you know it's uh, if you really want to prepare your kids so that they can face a complex world with a degree of agency and not in uh, being totally overwhelmed and 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 incapacitated to to actually act act in this uh, admittedly quite complex and sometimes very difficult world we live in um, then you you need to have a, a broader understanding of of uh, you know what what is the type of learning that really helps and supports children to to be able to do this. I think you, mm -hmm. you summarized that really, really beautifully. I mean, it's not just children, it's it's adults as well. We are not compartmentalized. We are uh, integral human beings. And um, it's that integrality which we need to be able to support with appropriate learning um, and not any kind of narrow bit of it. Maybe moving on to the, the research bit uh, a little bit more. You have been very, very important in collecting in your role with uh, CNN in collecting and promoting research into outdoor learning. You have contributed two of the central chapters to that volume, uh, High Quality Outdoor Learning, which I mentioned in the, in the introduction. Um, you've contributed with Louise uh, Charla to the coordinated research agenda and with Minku and Michael Barnes to uh, a really beautiful chapter on do experiences with nature promote learning, converging evidence of a cause and effect relationship. Why do you think it is important to have a sound research agenda and a good evidence base for outdoor learning or any kind of learning. Why do you think that mm -hmm. is important? Can we just trust our, maybe our childhood experiences or our intuition that this is a good thing? Do, do we need research? <laughs> well, as a researcher, I always think we need research, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I, I think that sound evidence is critical in guiding any field of practice particularly when the investment is high, you know, education is expensive. You want to, you want to get it right. Um, and the consequences of doing it well are significant. You know, it's our children's future uh, we're talking about. Um, so a research agenda can be really helpful in taking stock of the gaps we need to fill in our evidence base and identifying where the, the translation of the research-based information into practice may face barriers. Um, in our research agenda, uh, that chapter that you mentioned, we identified research questions about the possible impacts of different kinds of nature engagement, of course, but we also called for researchers to understand the barriers teachers face in adopting outdoor learning, for example, or um, you know, what works to facilitate teachers' effective use of outdoor learning pedagogy. So for example, teacher preparation and professional development 
we think are, are key to outdoor learning actually happening in schools in effective ways. But there really hasn't been that much research on the best ways to prepare teachers to mm. increase their comfort, their confidence, their competence in outdoor learning. So w there's nuances, you know, that we need to understand. And um, those those end up being boiled down into, um, you know, who is this good for? Why? Where? How? Um, and one size probably doesn't fit all. So, you know, what are some of the, the nuances um, that have to do with individual differences? There's just lots that we can dive further into to make this good thing that we intuitively, you know, believe in really be able to be applied with, um, you know, as, as much rigor uh, for as much impact as possible. And that also means asking the very sort of practical questions that can be researched around things like, what is the best way to prepare teachers? Um, you know, it's not just, you know, what are the outcomes on kids, but actually how do we do this well? Um, yes. What does it take to prepare teachers yep. to do it well? Yep. So from your researchers, heart and perspective what would you say where are you very comfortable with the um, evidence base at the moment and where do you think okay um, this is a little weak so far that needs strengthening mm -hmm. well you know I, th I think the strengths of outdoor learning are those that i mentioned before that synergy yep. between supporting physical and mental health and social emotional learning and academic outcomes And I would add, of course, this form of learning also contributes to the development of attitudes and behaviors supportive mm. of, you know, nature preservation and conservation so that both people and the planet can thrive, you know, together. I think the weakness comes in effective practice of outdoor learning programming. Um, we started talking about teachers a minute ago. I think, you know, teachers are... Um, a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, they aren't typically trained to teach outdoors in ways that fully integrate nature to support learning. The forms of professional development that they have available to them, um, at least here in the United States, tend to be these one-off short workshops that may give them some great resources mm. to use in lessons, but they don't really transform their understanding of and transform their practice Uh, you know, they're teaching practice. So teachers are, they're also typically engaging in professional development as an individual. Then they go back into their school where maybe they're the only ones enthused about outdoor learning and they can't make the changes they want to make because they need that support from their peers, from their educational administrators. And those folks may or may not understand what that teacher is trying to do. So, um, That was just one example of you know where we're we're sort of running again running up against you know some some barriers that have to do with the actual implementation. Um, you know, in terms of what the research actually um, is showing us, I think that in terms of you know the strength of the research, we we have some solid evidence on the direct effects of nature engagement on some areas of cognitive and emotional functioning. I've been sort of naming them before, or you mentioned them, you know, things about decreased stress levels and improved attention, for example. And then research from those cognitive and emotional uh, fields, I would say, you know, uh, research that isn't specifically about nature, but mm. um, researchers who look at things like what predicts um, or what contributes to good educational outcomes, they would typically um, tell you that 
high stress is really bad for learning and, you know, poor attention uh, and attentional control or self-regulation is bad for learning. And so um, we know that, you know, sort of nature leads to these, these good changes in the brain and in our physiology. And we know that um, from other research that those are likely to impact education, but we don't have good research that really spans that whole system you know, that paints the whole picture from nature mechanism to outcome and answers all those why questions in the middle. We're sort of piecing it together. And that's what Ming Kuo and I did in our, in our chapter. Mm. Um, you know, like, like any field, um, as it matures, um, we need more high quality studies, both rich qualitative studies that show us the details. And we need more experimental methods that allow us to determine uh, if indeed nature is the causal factor, you know, in an educational outcome. We also lack longitudinal studies that look at changes over time and whether the impacts of outdoor learning can last or, yeah. or maybe how they might affect students as they mature. So we need studies that can establish the link between learning and nature and educational outcomes, identifying the mechanisms of action done in ways that allow us to infer causality and understand the long-term effects. Yeah, I think... Those examples you mentioned, you know, the ones that need strengthening, but also the, the, the ones where we can be quite confident these days. I think both of them point to we need a more systemic look at, uh, at uh, both the research and the practice, because that's exactly what we are witnessing here in, in Switzerland as well. Um, you know, uh, if you if you look at mainstream research like um, you know the, the famous Hattie study and so forth, you know there's there's a lot of what what really contributes to effective learning, like the functioning social relationship between the teacher and the learner. That is that is the absolute most important element in the learning process. And we know from studies into nature learning that this um, social connection, uh, both between the teacher and the learner, but also amongst the pupils, gets strengthened. So, so we have a, a very clear indication that outdoor learning actually supports that key element in successful learning. Um, but really showing that, you know, neatly in a in a in a high quality research design that you you don't just need to put these two things together, but it actually happens. I, I can see that uh, we really need to, to up the game there. At the same time, what you said about the practical dimension, you know, that's what we are realizing here in Switzerland. You know, it's, it's, it's more and more, we need to look at the system within which outdoor learning happens. It's not individual teachers that can change the game, it's school teams and it's the integration between initial teacher training and in-service teacher training to link the professional practice of teachers to um, qualification and the competencies build up in outdoor learning so that they're confident in their everyday teaching surroundings to actually implement and, and use outdoor learning. So there again, you know, you could say it's a move from kind of a, a specific look at individuals, a teacher, to a more systemic look at, okay, what does a school team or an entire community uh, with various schools in them, what do they need so that outdoor learning actually can happen in, in the best possible way? Yeah, um, I love that. The system is, is super important. I like how you articulated that. 
Yeah, it it really is, and 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 what we do realize is that we all still, you know, after forty years of intense research into system thinking and and action, we find it difficult. Is it is a challenge for us, you know, in our working life, in our private life, to to really make systemically sound decisions is a challenge. So I, I think you know we really have to think about ways to support us and teachers and school leaders and you know teacher training university people to to get better at making systemically sound decisions. You know I think personally think that is one of the challenges we face on top of you know all the ones you 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 mentioned. Um, I can, can I can I ask you? Um, we face a common conception in Europe, but maybe that's different in the US. And that is, outdoor learning is great, but it is something for young kids. And as older as the kids or students or pupils get, it becomes less important because there are more important things to, to learn and do. What would your arguments be on that? You know, why? Is outdoor learning as important for, say, adolescents, even for adults, as it is for young kids? Yeah, that's a great question, and we do certainly share that uh, in the U.S. That same, I think, misconception. Yes. You know, one of the one of the hallmarks of outdoor learning is that it is inquiry based. It lends itself very, very well to that sort of style of inquiry based learning, which is a best practice in education. That looks different at different ages. It is indeed play at younger ages. That's how young children learn. But inquiry-based formal instruction is a best practice in the older grades. And nature is, a, I think, a great place to utilize inquiry-based instruction. Um, plus, you know, play, even though it sounds like um, it's kind of superfluous when you get older, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would say maybe it's it's create. If we could think about that as creativity as opposed to play, mm -hmm. then I think um, when we think about creativity and generative thinking, you know, these are things that should be part of the lives of older students as well as adults. It is mm -hmm. part of being vital and curious and well-informed problem solvers. Critical skills for for older youth and for adults throughout our lifespan, and things that allow us to. Uh, at any age, you know, develop that curiosity and generative thinking um, is, is going to be beneficial. It just looks a little different at different ages. Um, but I would argue that, um, that the more we can create playful learning at any age, the more effective that learning is going to be. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, particularly um, if we link back to the question about, uh, you know, those grand challenges that we are facing, such as climate change, we need to be quite creative to manage to turn around, say, from a fossil fuel-based economy to a, to a solar-based economy. That that still takes a little creativity to actually manage that turn. So I think it's absolutely crucial that we we correct this misconception that playing, being creative, being able to think out of the box, being innovative is something for, you know, crazy young kids uh, only. Um, mm -hmm. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, maybe second last question. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'd, I'd be really curious 
for your perspective on what are the biggest obstacles, the most important, uh, the most difficult challenges that outdoor learning is facing? Yeah, I think that um, you were hitting it on its head earlier. Um, our teacher training system, I think, needs to be really, at least in the United States, kind of turned upside down to embrace outdoor learning and prepare teachers and educational administrators to specifically use nature-based pedagogy where appropriate. Here in the States, there's there's just not very much available at particularly the teacher preparation level. Um, and so we have teachers who may be, because of their own you know, family situations, enthused about this, but um, they don't have the opportunity to learn how to do it well. Mm, yes. um, schools and school-based schedules need to be set up uh, to allow for immersion in nature in the schoolyard or nearby for a sufficient amount of time for full benefit. We need, we need more schoolyards to transform to be green schoolyards to support that health, well-being, and learning of students across all grades, and also to support teacher well-being. Green schoolyards are actually wonderful for uh, you know, teachers' ability to um, enjoy and cope with and be successful in their jobs as well. And then that policy level um, and kind of curricular standards level, um, those tend, at least here in the States, to deter um, or at least be perceived as deterring the use of outdoor learning. So policies need to be revised or clarified to better support outdoor learning. And some intentional thinking needs to happen about how outdoor learning can support academic standards. So those are a few rungs, so to speak, of the, the system um, that you were talking about earlier. Um, one that we haven't talked about as much is issues around equity. Um, mm. You know, not all children have access to outdoor learning. That sometimes is related yes. to the advantage or disadvantage of the school district or their mm -hmm. family. Um, uh, might have to do with geography. You know, is there nearby nature or is it very urban, you know, et cetera. Um, but equity, I think, is going to be or is an extremely important uh, consideration. Um, there are challenges in terms of parental or even student attitudes about nature. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are aspects of cultural backgrounds that either support or create a barrier to outdoor learning. But I think that those things can be addressed more easily when the spaces and the practices and the policies are all aligned to support outdoor learning. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I, th I think you you mentioned a few of the very, very important barriers which, which we face um, the other side of the Atlantic as well. But I was really happy for you to mention this this important aspect that outdoor learning is actually also of tremendous benefit for the teachers. It's not just for for the pupils; it's also for the teachers. And yeah. sometimes I think you know maybe maybe we we just to enable this realignment you talked about, we might need to change the perspective. Now, when we talk about outdoor learning, very often we are faced with the question. Okay, yeah, but why going outdoors? Maybe we need to turn that question on its head and say, why do you want to do it indoors? <laughs> because that's a historical thing as well. You know, we, we are trained, if you're trained as a teacher, that's the normal mental model to work in at the moment, indoors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily so. And part of why it might be 
appear to be a problem is because we're not used to it. You know, it's new, we, we haven't been qualified for it, we haven't got the competencies and so forth. But if we build that base, I can actually foresee um, a future where this question why indoors is as good a question and as valid a question as, as the question why outdoors appears to be now. So maybe to finish off, I would like you to give a little farewell gift to, to our listeners. You know, what is your vision of outdoor learning in 2030 or say 2050, whatever? I would say, this is, this is gonna be like a long vision statement. <laughs> uh, Go for it. All, yeah, yeah. all children, all children, regardless of where they live or how much money their parents have or how much money their school has, has access to opportunities to learn outdoors on a regular basis and an equal chance to benefit from all that outdoor learning has to offer because educational policies and school grounds and curriculum and academic standards and teacher education programs have aligned around outdoor learning because the evidence for its impact on well-being and social emotional development and learning is unequivocal. So in my vision, we've, we've also learned a lot about the mechanisms explaining outdoor learning's impact and who can benefit most from what kind of programs. So we have the ability to tailor outdoor learning for particular groups of students to help them get the most out of it. Beautiful. Thank you <laughs> so much for this. Thank you, Cassie, for a, a wonderful, wonderful discussion, for a rich and inspiring um, discussion. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Ralph. It's really been wonderful talking with you. I'd love to talk shop. So thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sylviva podcast. We hope you learned something new that you can use in your own practice. Feel free to give us feedback and share your experiences at www.sylviva.ch podcast where you can also find the show notes as well as more information about learning outdoors in and with nature. See you next time.